It's been a couple of weeks. And we're back. We're back. How you guys mm. been? What's what's going on? I feel like two weeks for us is a long time to have a lot happen. Maybe it's like not. a month in, in human years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've just been doing the same thing every day. 12, 13 hours a day working on the TV show. And oh, okay. That's it. Well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to squeeze in videos here and there. And uh, I think I took last weekend off just because it got jammed up. And I was just like, why rush? No, one, no one's really going to miss me that much. And uh, yeah, just working every day. And it's crazy. It's crazy that it's actually we've gotten we're on episode five now, which is mm. crazy. And the weather has been a bit of a hindrance because we do all the big like finale scenes outside so the weather has been holding us up from time to time where whereas like we get all amped up to do the big day because it takes all day and there's all types of special riggings and stuff and oh like no everything's moved so you think you're going to work all day long on doing something and then you, you just got to go back to like a regular build day which you know it's all it's all fun and games anyway so it's no big deal but the only thing that concerns me is that it just pushes the end further mm kicks the can further down the road when we're going to actually end. So the potential, we might we might have to add two weeks or a week. Oh, I don't man. know. We'll see. No, no one's really said anything solid, but the idea has been floated, which is fine. It's all fine, you know, but then, you know, I'm going to make a central and then Taylor and I are trying to figure out two weeks where we can do a road trip. So, you know, it's just a little bit up in the air, but, you know, it's all, it's all nothing. It's not detrimental problems. It's just logistics. So how's the uh, the process been after getting through, like, one episode? You know, you get to know the crew. You get to, like, the other people on the show with you. You know them better than you did before. Has ha, Have the other episodes gone faster, easier, been more difficult? Like, what's the... Uh, slightly. You know, like, uh, the episode one, we established a certain protocols, you know, in, in relationship to the, the rhythm of the show. And those protocols we follow each time now it's like oh okay we know that when we do this this has to happen and then when we do that those things have to happen and and like i said it's you know it's it's just i I heard george lucas say once that you know you create an environment and like all the rules are specific to that environment and you can't break them otherwise it seems weird you know like when he's talking about really Hmm. more talking about story but uh i i think of that all the time when like certain protocols come up and we have to follow them only because that's how we established it in the first taping and it's just like what happens when and you know the the big ta-da and da 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 da. But it's it's all it's all fun and it's obviously really fun to see a, a show basically develop out of thin air because you have this idea on paper and in emails and presentation, and then when you go to shoot it, there's so many little things to to navigate and overcome. Especially, it's funny, the other day, one of the guys said to me, he's like, how long is this going to take you to build? I go, I have no idea. He's like, do you know what you're going to do next? I said, no. And I said <laughs> I said something to him, and I go, something to the effect of, if I showed you the G-code for a, you know, for a two-hour CNC cut, I go, you're asking me to explain that to you, but out of my brain. <laughs> and he doesn't even know what a CNC cut is or G-code anyway, so I was like, I don't even know why I'm trying to use this as an example, because he knows nothing. I just said, what you're asking me to do is explain thousands upon thousands of decisions that I have to make. I said, it's open-ended. I said, the only answer I could really give you is that by the time this episode is done, that thing will be done. 
<laughs> and since we only have four days to shoot this episode, I said it'll be done at the end of four days. <laughs> you definitely did not want to hear that. But I was being a bit snarky because I was annoyed about a few things. But when he said, so how long is this going to take? What's your next step? I was like, it's like explaining G-code to an alien. It's like, yeah. It's really true, though. When you think about anything you do, like I, I kind of organized my desk before we started. Literally thousands of decisions went into me deciding to clean my desk. Like thousands. And people, people don't, if you stop and think about it, nobody realizes it. Where am I going to put my hand? Where am I going to put my full can of soda I opened up two days ago and didn't drink? And like, you know, all these little tiny, like if you could output that in G-code the last 15 minutes before we got started, hmm. you don't stop and think about it, but it's all those decisions take away from something else that's more important to be thought about like, you know, what's my step as soon as we're done here? We could obviously, as humans, our brains work that we could double task and think about things at the same time, various things at the same time. But like, that's what it annoys me when I'm in my shop and people talk to me while I'm trying to think. You know, mm -hmm. one of my posters I've been wanting to make is thinking in progress, no talking. And uh, it's because when you're trying to run through your own personal G code or even code it while you're in real time, and people saying, oh, my God, is this a new tool? Where did you get this? Like, all of a sudden, it's like spilling coffee in the, you know, on the record. They're like, oh, what? Oh, oh, I got that a couple days yeah. ago. Now my G-code is interrupted, and I have to go back to my own personal G-code. And then it's like, oh, my God, you do this all the time? You don't really have a real job? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, you take pictures of anything you want? Yeah, sure. Uh, and, you know, I can try and get back into the computer. It's the same yeah, thing here. I, it's the same thing here. So like I'm trying to build something like, okay, what's going to happen next? Right. I'm like, I don't know now. You just you just stepped on my computer keys. <laughs> There's another thing about that that you're talking about, like the desk. Take that as an example. And, and the thousand I'm going to mute because I hear that. one of my machines going off. Okay. Um, it, it's also not like a decision-making and progress on something is usually not a linear thing. Well, I mean, it, it may be linear, but it's not. that's not the only path, right? So in that thousand decisions, you do 10 decisions, and then one of those becomes a branch. Like if I, if I head this direction, well, that's going to influence everything down the line. And that happens with what we do all the time. And I think that may be one of the things where I don't want to get back to talking about comments or anything like that. I'm not complaining. But I think that's one of the the kind of points where someone viewing a, the final product or seeing the final thing that you made doesn't understand why you wouldn't have done it the certain way that they would have done it or why you wouldn't have used a certain tool. Or, you know, it, there's a disconnect there. And that's because at some point in your process, you hit a branch. And that branch leads you down a path to where the end result is pretty distant from what the end result would have been if you had taken the other side of that branch. And I think a lot of times people just don't, really think about that. They just think about the final thing being like, well, we would have taken the same path to get to the final thing, but the final thing, you know, if they don't match up, then to them, that seems odd. But you're right. A thousand decisions has, I'm sure there's math there that you could figure out how many branches, how many final possibilities would come from a thousand decisions. But Yeah. Yeah. You know, another thing I'm realizing about being filmed while I, while I make something is, and I guess I've always known this, but it's just more clear to me now is that 
when you have a camera guy on, and I love the camera crew here. They're all, everybody's great. We've, everybody's really been getting along great. And the creative ideas are really, it's definitely an absolute collaborative effort from everybody involved. You know, no one's left out of the collaboration. Everybody, like we have meetings like once every Monday to talk about the episode that's going to happen the week later. And everybody's involved and it's very collaborative. But the, uh, when someone points a camera at you and says, okay, go. I am not making my best decisions. I'm not making, like when I'm alone in my shop with my camera, then I'm like, okay, what could be, what could, what would be a cool decision here that would show? And I am doing a little bit of that, but for the majority of the building, it's like, let me just get through this. And then once the cameras are down, I'll think about the best way to do this. I'm finding myself doing that. So, because I know in the edit, especially I'm not editing it in this, we have the show's only a half hour long. And everyone keeps saying, you only have 16 minutes of build time, less than that. And so I'm like a little bit under pressure to try and just do anything, like anything in the goal of getting the thing built in the direction we've decided. But for instance, we're welding up something and I just made a bunch of million one. Derek was my partner on it. So together we're just welding up stuff. And when it was done, someone came over and goes, wow, these welds look horrible. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I said, it doesn't matter because this isn't a show about how good or bad my welds are. It's just getting through the next step to the other thing. And now, last night, we went through and re- redid all that. So it looks great now. So in the final shot, the montage of us welding is never going to be seen anyway. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So I find myself doing hasty decision-making process when there's three cameras pointed at us simply just to get into the scene so that they could start finding cool shots and like, oh, can you weld that? doesn't matter. Weld anything. Just, I'm going to shoot that. I'm like, okay, I'll just weld a piece of scrap because they just want to see smoke, you know? So, and and it's nobody's fault. It's just the nature of the beast. It's, you don't make your best build decisions. And then, you know, how many times a day do I go, you know what? I don't have the right tool. You know, a drill will be okay. All right, never mind. Well, let's, let's just go with it. I'll just use a drill. Because to get the thing I need is at my other shop. It's, you know, it's like six microphone calls. And then someone comes back with 13 things. Is one of these the thing you're looking for? <laughs> like, forget <laughs> it. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? So it's, like I said, I, I'm realizing more and more. We just, I personally don't make the best decisions to do it. And then, and and I, I see Paul is doing some incredible work on camera too. He does what he does in his shop. And he looks at me, he's like, how are we going to get this done? This is, you know, like we reference a lot of Paul's videos or inspiration for a lot of the, the builds, Paul Jackman. And he looks, he goes, this took me like five weeks to make. He goes, now we only have yeah. two days to do it. And, you know, so it's a hard time just finding workarounds for things that you ordinarily would do. But because, hey, we got to have a couple. We just, we, we don't need the whole thing. We just need it. And then like all of a sudden, you, whatever you do on camera, it just isn't really what you're going to do anyway. It's just represent- mm-hmm. representative of what you, the process is. Hmm. So it's tough. It's tough. And, you know, I don't see the final edits. And that's just that's just a, a vague generality. It's not always that case. It's not like every single thing we yeah. do on camera gets redone a minute later. But, you know, some of it is. And and more importantly, I'm finding that I'm just not making the best decisions simply because of logistics or yeah, it's like I needed a pull saw the other day. I couldn't find a pull saw that, you know, didn't have glue and crap all over it. So it's like, ugh. I ended up, I needed a pull saw. I couldn't find a pull saw. Couldn't find a sharp knife. I grabbed a chainsaw and I just used the chainsaw to cut something that I would have used those other two things more delicately for. (laughs) I was like, whatever. It looks better anywhere on camera, but it's not what I would have chosen. 
when are you finding time to redo stuff? Is it after everybody goes home? Um, you know what it is? It's like, it, well, there's a great team of people that are working behind the scenes. Uh, so we get certain things done. And, you know, it's funny because they, they really do treat you like talent. Obviously, we all build, but it's like, oh, no, no, you guys don't need to do that. It's like, no, you know, I want to do it because, you know, we're taking pride in this project. And so after hours, after the cameras go home, uh, there's there's about five or six people that hang around and do the details. Like uh, we did something that was covered with literally thousands of tiles and me and Derek did about 8% of them on camera, 6% of them. And then when the cameras went down, like 20 people jumped in and we all did it. And it took like three more days to put all these little tiles on this subject. And, you know, so th- there's a group effort when it comes to it. Hmm. Just like, I mean, just like when we shoot, you don't need to show yourself cutting a thousand cuts. You show three and then off camera, you show, you do the rest. But you don't have six people coming in to help you. It's just you and your, you know, whatever assistance you have around you. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, and we all stay involved. Every for, for the most part, everyone hangs out and works. Like me, me, Paul, and Pat were hanging out late last night working on a, a big glue up that those guys are working on. And uh, you know, it's fun to see the process up close because uh, Jackman does a lot of interesting things that I don't do. So I'm learning from watching him. And uh, but and, and the other thing too is there's not much else to do. It's not like, you know, at seven o'clock when we end, it's like, hey, let's go to the nightclub. It's just like, all right, seven. The only thing that really changes at seven is the camera crew locks up and leaves. And then for like another hour, usually everyone just hangs out and does stuff. That's probably like a breath of fresh air after, you know, being concerned about the camera all day long. And then when that's finally like lenses down, you're probably just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I Let can my exhale. gut out. You I know, can, and like- exactly. I can exhale. <laughs> I said to Derek, because me and Derek are both feeling overweight on this whole shoot. I said, let's get really like buff. And if the show turns into a hit, we could both say we were method acting. and We just put on weight just for the shoot. So it would be funnier. <laughs> and then, you know, if we get on like, uh, if the show turns into a hit, we end up on like interviews and stuff. We could say, yeah, we were just method acting. We just put on extra 20 pounds for the shoot. But you know, now back to my fighting weight. So now, now I can go on Dancing with the Stars. Like, was the plan all along. <laughs> Do you see yourself changing your lighting at all after seeing professional lights in the shop? Um, That's a good question. I definitely do more fill lighting now, um, but I I, I still don't get quite as concerned as these guys do. And like they all of a sudden it's like, and the the lighting guy, he brought a a truck full of lighting package here. So all of a sudden he pulls out the Arri and then there's a whole guy like, oh my God, that's such a cool light. Would you get that? Oh my God. This light's $8,000 and this switch alone is $400. This plug, see this plug? This plug is $600. This filter, you see? And then it's like every time he pulls out a light, it's like, yeah. like oh my God, what is that? Where did you get that? How much was it? Did you get it? Did this come yeah. with it? You know, every single time. He's a, he's a, we love Burns as the CDP. We love him. But it's like every time it's like, get me the X25625 and then like someone rummages in the container and comes out with like some fancy light and it just causes conversation. Well, what people, <laughs> if they haven't, I mean, I've been around very, very, very few of these types of shoots. You've obviously done a lot more of them, but what people may not know is that everybody on that set has a specific job Absolutely. and that's the only job that they can do. So yeah. that lighting person is like, Somebody needs a light, I'm on it, you know, and then they go and they're like super proud of, I get to do a thing. And then they hand it off to the next person and then they can't touch it. Anymore. The hardest working person on set. I mean, this isn't like, like, for instance, when I'm working at NBC Studios, 
Like that is that rule is absolutely strictly false. Everybody knows their lane and nobody gives up. But here we're out in the field, a lot of people are sharing duties. Um, but the hardest working person on the whole set, and I think everybody would agree with me, is probably Zach, the camera assistant. He is he's he's a tall dude, so every time you see him running, he's like a giraffe running around the set, he's like six five. And he's he's always running like around like it's like uh, Zach, can we get to the filter 683? And then, like, he literally runs to, if he doesn't have it in his pocket already, he, like, runs and gets it and runs full speed. And, like, he's putting it back on. He's taking lenses off. He he obviously is extremely knowledgeable about being a, you know, camera person and a camera assistant. But he is he's the guy who would run and get the light and, like, set the light up and answer all the questions when everybody's oohing and on over the new, the new Aeroflex LCD panel. And, uh, he is definitely the hardest working guy. I just hope he doesn't fall. Every time I see him running full speed to go do something, I'm like, oh, my God. If he falls, he's going to become impaled on a saw. <laughs> <laughs> no running in the shop. Uh, yeah, seriously. But, it, of, of course, on. it's all just a good experience to you know for the next one. Learn learn for the next one. But it's, it's funny because Taylor's said it because Taylor's been through this with me now. We've been together 11 years, and she's like, of all the, the various experiences you had like this, this seems to be like a culmination of all the positive ones from every experience all wrapped up in one. So it's been good. That's good. Yeah. I haven't seen the edit yet. When the edit comes out, then I'll stop complaining. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's been, it's, it's great. Good. David, what have you been up to? I saw you were racing. I was racing. I didn't do so good this week, but I was, I was racing. Um, I've got a, uh, I had a motor issue. My, um, usually I'm targeting like 7,600 RPMs and my motor would not get above 7,000. So I'm a, uh, it could be a, a fuel filter. It could be like a valve not sealing or not enough spring pressure. I don't know. I haven't tore into it yet. That'll be something I'll do this weekend since I'm not racing. Um, I put out the, recently I put out a hallway cabinet. And I'm really happy with this one. I had this huge, like, eight-foot live-edge slab that I got locally. And uh, I cut it up into thin veneers to make the the doors. And I'm sure there's a lot of live-edge people who were just, like, gasping at seeing me cut this eight-foot-long thing into 20-foot or 20-inch sections and then slicing that into into veneers. But I'm not much of a live-edge guy. And the grain on this on this piece of wood was just absolutely beautiful. So I did like this. Sh- thank you. I did this chevron pattern on the on the front doors, and um, and it was just cool that almost all of the wood for this project was grown locally and came from my my grandpa's friend. So that was that was pretty cool. And it has this Corian top, which is it looks like stone, but it apparently is some sort of acrylic plastic stuff. It looks, it looks like it has like this stone top, and it, I don't. Know, I'm just really. It's my, it's my favorite project today. I'm just really happy with the way it came out. Wow, that's a tall thing to say. I mean, your favorite project to date. You've done a lot of projects. Yeah, yeah. This one, uh, wow. e- even while we were shooting, <clears throat> uh, Dan goes, "You seem to be a little bit more involved in this one," and I was like, "Yeah, this one's, this one's going to be on full display in our house." all the time i will be looking at this for for decades so it took a little bit of extra time and really thought it out and i really wanted to 
I don't re I don't usually pay attention to grain and do grain matching. I'm usually just putting something together or typically I would make this out of walnut plywood because it's just so much easier to work with. And we built the whole thing out of solid wood. So I spent a little bit more time and I really wanted it to look good. And I'm really, really happy with it. So, and then uh, the next video is I made a couple of trophies for last week's race and I, uh, I shot this after hours. So there was no Dan. It was just, just me. And I got a new camera slider so i had a lot of fun i dimmed the lights and then did a lot of colored lighting and special lighting and there's a lot of this uh slow camera movement throughout and i think it, it came up pretty cool so i had fun playing with a new toy so making these trophies will be the the next video and um tomorrow i gotta start on another video which i'm not sure what, what that's gonna be yet but i'll figure it out tonight cool yeah right on. Yeah. Uh, let's see. For me, last couple of weeks have been odd. I think I say that a lot. Do I say that a lot? Well, ever <laughs> since the kitchen started. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of the kitchen, still waiting on countertops. Man, what a pain. Like, I know there's supply chain issues everywhere for everything, apparently, right now. But, like, we ordered the countertops through Home Depot um, and then they use a local supplier or a local installer or whatever. And so you're really just paying them. And we had some gift cards and some different stuff. So we went through them and then they're using this place. That's about an hour away in, in Louisville and 40 minutes away. And so this company has the contract. And so they order the material because we're getting quartz. So they order the material from some supplier. They get it in, they cut it to match the measurements and everything. And then they come install it. Right. So, we originally had the install date of May 17th, which as of now is about over two weeks ago. And they didn't make that. And they said, you know, like a couple days before, like material still hasn't shown up. We'll call you when it's here. And then once it's here, we'll, it'll take us about four days to get it cut and, you know, smoothed and all the things they have to do. And then they'll come install it. Well, it's today is June 2nd. And I have still not even heard from them, which means mm -hmm. the material has not even shown up. And they don't have any idea when it's coming. We're supposed to have this. I mean, obviously, I would like to have my kitchen done because I'm sick of <laughs> <laughs> not having a completed kitchen. It's like partially there. We basically have everything except for countertops. So we can cook in it. I have a plywood. <laughs> I have a walnut plywood, uh, like a lip behind the sink with the faucet installed in it just because I had a scrap of plywood that fit there so I just dropped it in so I have a super fancy <laughs> lip behind the, <laughs> temporary lip behind the sink unsealed it's turning super nasty because it's just wet all the time perfect make one but, out of Legos yeah oh there you go so you know we are using the kitchen but it's just it's not finished and we can't I can't finish the video we can't like do all the rest of the stuff. We can't move anything into the drawers because we're still trying to decide on drawer pulls and uh, tile for the walls. And I'm just tired of it, man. I'm. Hmm. It's just one of those, it's not a big deal. I'm not frustrated or angry or anything. I'm just like, ugh. I just want the kitchen to be over with, you know? I bet. I mean, it's been going on since middle of February, so I've had enough. So I'm ready for that to be over with. But it, it's at a point really where, we can't do anything about the countertops. It's 
And the people who are going to be cutting them and installing them can't do it, anything about it either. It's just supply chain. So that's where that's at. And lots of people are asking us about it, thinking that we're just being slackers or we don't want to like show off how it turned out or whatever. We just can't show how it turned out because it hasn't turned out yet. That's where that's at. Um, listen, we had, I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that we were making a, a swing out at the farm and that was going to mm -hmm. be the video that was going to come out. And that video never came out. And the video is finally going to come out this week. But we had, I don't want to speak ill of sponsors ever, but we had sponsor trouble on this one that was like just expectations that they had that we didn't know about. And so we couldn't meet them. So it was one of those like lack of communication things. It was nobody's fault. It was just we couldn't do what we didn't know we were supposed to do. And the thing that's really frustrating about the whole deal, and it's it's resolved now and it's all good. They had a leadership change, and I think some confusion came in because of that. But the frustrating thing was, and stop me if I've already talked about this, we we <laughs> we had that video scheduled to come out. It was done, and we were working on the next week's and the following week's videos. Well, that thing couldn't go out because of the sponsor stuff. So we took the next video that was... 90% finished and we finished it. But instead of putting it out on a Thursday, like we usually do, it went out on a Saturday morning because we wanted to make sure it was that it was good and everything. And it tanked like hard. And when I asked several people about it, like our, on Patreon and our maker Alliance people, I asked them, you know, like if you didn't watch this video that came out on Saturday, why was it the subject matter? Was it, the thumbnail, what was the thing? And they all said that they thought it was a filler video just because it came out on a Saturday, which was really interesting to me because I think the project was cool. It was the practice seat I did where it, like you sit down and it activates a thing and it listens to you play guitar and then keeps track of your progress. I thought it was a really cool project with like interesting electronics and there was like a wireless, two things wirelessly talking and showing on a sign. I thought it was really cool. But just because it went, came out on a Saturday instead of a Thursday, mm. a lot of people just didn't watch it because they thought it was something we had thrown together really quickly. We finished it quickly, but it, it had been in progress for a couple weeks. And so that like kind of threw me for a loop, that whole thing, in that I didn't realize how this sounds negative, and I don't mean it to sound negative, how trained the audience has become to when we release videos. And if you, in our case, in this particular case, if we released on a different day, then they, they think the thing is less valuable. And that has really made an impact on me thinking about the, what people expect out of us, not, or, or what we've set them up to expect out of us. And I don't know, that's kind of messed with me the last couple of weeks because now putting videos out at that particular time on Thursdays has become a bigger priority than I thought it was just because I don't want something to not perform simply because it came out on a, on a separate day. Have you guys had anything like that? I mean, I know maybe you guys don't follow a schedule in the same way that did it come out Saturday after the next, after the uh, Thursday, it should have been up. Yeah. Yeah. It was like so two Thursday, days Thursday, nothing went up, but Saturday, something went up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, at this point, I just 
it's I find that most of my content slowly starts to build an audience later anyway. So I mm-hmm. I've like I've become accustomed to just not being overly excited about first 24-hour results. I know that is a big defining factor where it's going to end up in the algorithm, but lately I just put out a video and it like more will hit like you know, 80 to 90,000 in the first 24 hours. But then I go look at it two weeks later and it's added another 100,000. It's funny because my videos slowly grow. And I'm coming, that's, unless I hit something, you know, unless I make a weapon or a gun and then all of a sudden it goes to a million overnight. But yeah, <clears throat> which is funny because that's just what my algorithm, my audience has become accustomed to seeing. It seems to me like I'm just, I'm, I'm not overly concerned lately these days. Yeah. It just seems like, it. and then it's funny because I did a, I did an audible ad and I'm like, oh, you know, it didn't do great. Did, you know, in my mind, I don't know what they expect. You know, they expect vlogger numbers, which are usually huge. And I did 130,000 views by the time they came back and said, could you do another one? And I was like, oh, you want to do another one? I'm like, all right. They're like, yeah, these are great numbers. I'm like, okay, cool. I wasn't going to say, no, they didn't. I was like, great. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a hundred, like yeah. hundred and thirty is really good numbers. It's like okay, cool. If you think so, I guess. Yeah. If you think so, so I've had a couple of videos recently where I would release them in the evening on Friday. We're talking like four or five p.m. and YouTube tells you like how your video is doing compared to the previous nine. So it'll say like one of ten, which is amazing, or ten of ten, and you're like, oh, something's wrong. And when I release them late for the first 24 hours, it'll be like 8 of 10, 9 of 10. I'm like, oh, something's wrong. I don't, people aren't watching this video. And then something comes around on Sunday and it goes back up to its its normal thing. So hmm. I know when I release videos later in the day, at least on, on Fridays, it, um, and, and it could be just have been those two videos, but it seems to impact yeah. the, the numbers a little bit. I mean, I would have typically thought that this one being problematic was, you know, like, oh, well, it's an electronics project. Maybe people just aren't into that. Fair enough. Maybe the thumbnail was not really enticing enough. Fair enough. But the fact that I asked people and I had multiple people say that they just Hmm. assumed it was filler because of the release time, that was like, whoa, like that's, huh. We don't don't release filler. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like we, we have several weeks and people have been asking about that too. Actually, I asked on Twitter for some questions today. And one of the things somebody brought up was, you know, you've been putting out less content this year. Why? Like what's, what's going on? And it's because we've been trying to make sure that the things that we put out are what I want them to be. And like, we're not, we're trying to let go of the schedule and so this, I guess, is the second step of the thing that I think is really weird is we've been trying to let go of the schedule and be a little more like loose on that so that the thing that, that we put out is as good as it can be. It goes out when it's done, not to mm-hmm. hit a date. And so we've skipped weeks because something hasn't been ready. And so trying to get my myself and the way that I do things into that mindset of just like, all right, you know, let go of the schedule. We've talked about this a million times on here. And and then to get like slapped in the face with, no, you didn't put something out when we we thought it was going to come out. And so we're just not going to watch it. And I was like, oh man. Hmm. (laughs) So that's, that's a weird place to kind of find. I need to figure out a plan there, uh, how to, how to handle stuff like that in the future. You know, because if something's not ready by Thursday, does that mean I skip a whole week? 
just to get it out on the next Thursday? Or do I try to reset the expectation of the audience that Thursday is not the day anymore? It's just whenever they're done or, you know. So there's, we're kind of wading through that stuff, trying to figure out. There's no, there's no easy answer, honestly. Yeah, there's no easy answer. I'm assuming the weekends are tricky just because people have a schedule during the week and then the weekends, everything is a free for all. So that's very true. You're watching, you're watching YouTube whenever it's convenient. And, and to be fair, like I wouldn't watch a video on a Saturday. Like I spend my Saturday days at soccer games, like soccer days, (laughs) soccer games all day. And then I come home and I do stuff around the house. Like I'm not watching YouTube, so. I get that totally. Um, but anyway, so that was a, a thing that we were trying to figure out. Forby was in town last week for a week, and that was that's always great. And we spent a whole lot of time um, talking about, you know, future stuff and making plans and continuing to make progress on the the secret projects that we've been working on for a couple of years now. And... That's a really, really good time. It's, I mean, having uh, Josh and Anthony here on a daily basis is fantastic. Having Forby here when he's here, it, it feels like we really gel as a team, you know, and things like we get a lot done in that week or that weekend or whatever we are together. And that's really cool. So that was good. And then I've been working on R2D2 a lot, trying to finish him up. I, I don't see. think you can ever actually finish it. He's behind you with no head on. And tools yeah, alone. Yeah, but, but his his head is off right now because I'm finishing servos on the inside of his head to get the flaps to move. And oh, like I've got the head electronics connected to the body so that the head can spin and the wires don't get twisted up. You ever use the slip ring? Is that a ring that transfers the electric yeah. in a yeah. 360? It's super cool. A full 360? It, yeah. And oh, you can wow. just spin and spin and spin. So it's it's a bundle of wires going in the top and out the bottom, and then in between them is this metallic ring. You know, it's in a plastic housing, but the, it can just spin indefinitely. So you can run whatever you need through this joint, and it can just spin. And so I I actually only needed a couple of wires, but I bought one with uh, I don't know twelve or something, and so I've got extra. And so I can run things in the future through this one connection from the head to the body. It's really cool. I've never used one before. Power windows. (laughs) The power windows. (laughs) In his head. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But uh, so I've been working on him a lot, which is really cool. And he's getting close to presentable. I wouldn't say finished because finished, it won't ever be finished. But to the point where he will be done for videos. So Mm. that's, that's another thing I've spent a lot of time on. And... The secret project that I've been talking about in the after show. I got some more news on that. Oh. In today's uh-oh. after show. Oh, it's called a teaser. A lot. Yeah. So that's kind of what's been going on here. Um, How much does R2D2 weigh? Weigh? A lot. More than a person? Um, you know, I don't really know. Probably 100 pounds. Okay. Yeah. Maybe with, with the dome, maybe 120. Yeah. Uh, I finally got the feet on and they're all like aluminum. Uh, you know, I talked about welding the aluminum feet and then the, sh- the shell that goes around them is also aluminum. And then inside that you've got these, these big motors, these DC motors that are, they add a lot of weight, just the motors. And then the wheels are like these solid rubber wheels. And so you have a whole lot of weight in the feet, which is good because it keeps it from tipping over. But putting those feet on recently and like finalizing that 
portion of it at the very bottom, it added a lot of weight to the whole thing. How does he navigate different ground, like different levels of ground? Like what, let's say you hit a door threshold. Does that everyone have to help him over the door threshold? Or? It can go over. It's got a, a, a little gap underneath the feet. That's probably at the front. It's probably an inch and a quarter. And, you know, so it can start to skip over a small threshold and it can roll over it. But, um, yeah, more than that, like going in and out of the shop, I've got a, there's a drainage pipe that runs across the doorway, like a little three quarter inch drainage pipe. And so I've got a little ramp transition up and down on both sides of it. And I have to, it's tall enough and steep enough that I have to kind of lift his front foot over that to get him in and out of the shop. So anyway, I've been working on him a lot and that's been really gratifying to kind of see it, you know, come together and on all the parts start to work and, and honestly, like just closing it up, putting his head on and then turning it on and there's like some automation modes in it. So you can just automate the the dome and it just will sit there and beep and boop and lights blink and it turns <laughs> every once in a while. And it looks like he's alive. It's just like sits in the corner and just kind of like beep, 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 and his head spins a little bit. It's so cool. It just feels like there's another little being in the shop or in the office with you. It's It's weird, but pretty neat. That's right. Oh, you have seen the movie. <laughs> or you saw the t-shirt with that I on. I read a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, um, we have a little bit of time left. I asked Twitter um, for some some questions, see if anybody had anything they wanted us to talk about. And let me go all the way back here because there was a good one. Did you guys get any good responses from that? On Well, I wanted to talk for just a second. The gentleman said, uh, you guys seem to be putting out less content. Is that what he said? Something to that effect? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because since the pandemic started, I put out a video just about every single week. Some filler, some more exciting than others. But <laughs> I've been able to basically hit a video and I got it so refined now that and my videos they're every once in a while they're epic and every once in a while they're filler. And I can do a and I'm saying this sarcastically because I don't really consider them filler videos, but I can do a video. I can start on like a Monday just to get my first couple of shots on a concept and then kind of dilly dally through it a little bit. And then on like a Thursday, which will be tomorrow, like a little bit tonight, tomorrow and get it all wrapped up by late Friday night and publish it on a Saturday. So I got a pretty good schedule. I got a pretty good confidence level of like what I can get done in a certain amount of time. Um, if there wasn't a TV show shoot going on, I would be building bigger, <laughs> more epic videos in the background of that same schedule. So I might spend a week working on, t- typically I'd work, spend a week working on two or three things. Some of them set to come out whenever they're done. Another one set to come out that week. And so it's funny when I'll post a video out of nowhere, literally we'll have posted a video every week for five weeks. I put out a video and someone goes, wow, I'm glad to see you posting again. I'm like, well, you got to do what, you know what? That's the algorithm that feeds yeah. somebody a video that they think is the only video I put out recently, just because maybe it has like a tick in, in activity. So they like, oh, let's give it to these 18 other people that like <laughs> this guy. Um, and so it's funny when people always say, oh, I'm glad to see you posting again. I'm like, I haven't stopped posting in nine years. Yeah. But I <laughs> the saw that. this break I took with maybe a month because of the TV stuff I've done. I saw, I saw that tweet. 
and it, and, and it gave an excuse for Jimmy because he's working on a TV show. It gave an excuse for Bob because he's working in the kitchen. And he's like, I don't know about Dave. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> and I'm like, Dave. okay, I put out four videos in, in um, May. I put out four videos in April. Two of those videos, the cabinet and the speakers, took two weeks to make. So I think go. I'm on a pretty consistent schedule. Yeah, Dave is there. Yeah, I think those <laughs> might have been different different tweets because the first one was from John. Hey, John. And he, he said, you know, longtime listener and viewer and stuff. But at the bottom of the tweet, he said, have you guys found it challenging to get ideas, sponsorships, or inspiration during COVID? And so I'll I think say, there's, yeah. you know, an assumption that Two ideas, COVID so. has been an, has had an effect. And for I'll, me personally, I think ahead. last year, it didn't really have that much of an effect. Even though, you know, the guys weren't in the office for a couple of months and, we you know, my wife got sick and different things. I think this year it's kind of coming around to like it's causing supply chain stuff, um, overall exhaustion and just like having, you know, to like deal with just like everybody else deal with the world and the state of things. It's a little more exhausting than it used to be. And so I think it's having more effect on video posting for me now in those ways than it did last year. But and honestly, I don't think I've seen a big change in sponsorship stuff no, everything's been the same for me. Nothing really has yeah. changed. I mean, if anything, I've gotten more opportunities, more uh, – the a lot of opportunities came out of the fact of people being like, oh, man, we have a budget. We don't know what to do with it. Let's try and get yeah. some micro-influencers. And so I've gotten more work as far as sponsorship goes because of COVID, I believe, because you have these budgets that aren't really being spent the way they ordinarily would be. And – I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know, really know anything about that. My doorbell rings and somebody wants to give me money. I say, okay, let's do it. But in general, everything has been probably a little bit more uptick than the previous year, it seems. And in the middle of a pandemic, I shot an NBC show, which comes out tomorrow night, June third. Oh. oh, I wow. just remembered, and uh, you know, which is pretty amazing. And I'm shooting this show now in my backyard, which is pretty amazing. So. You know, uh, unfortunately, uh, it was the COVID year, but it's been one one good year for me. Really yeah. good year. I've had great opportunities and I've made a lot of new relationships. You know, obviously my website is doing well. We have this uh, major retail chain interested in developing products, which we've been doing behind the scenes, me and my business partner, and uh, finding factories and designing products and designing packaging. All that's been going on behind the scenes. So, yeah, this... The year of 2020 has been a pretty pivotal year for me. We'll see where it goes. Mm. And if, you know, if half of what I've started doesn't really turn into anything, at least it's been a great learning experience and it hasn't cost me any money. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, there was another one on here that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, this is from Kelsey. It said, what are the tools you get excited to use every chance you get and tools that you dread that seem to fight you every time you use them? How do your relationship with your tools inform your project selection and design? I thought that was kind of cool because I've never really thought about that a whole lot. When I read it, the first thing that came to mind to me was there's a few things that if I were better at them, I would use them more. But the only way to get better at them is to <laughs> use them more. And right. so, I, you know, it's kind of self-fulfilling. It's easy for me to be like, well, I already know how to do woodworking stuff to this degree. So I'll just, I'll lean on that instead of I should take this as an opportunity 
to make it out of aluminum so that I have the chance to practice aluminum welding because I'm terrible at that, you know? Um, so I think for me, TIG welding is like a thing I want to know, but I don't do it because I'm, I'm just not there. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. I don't remember what he, what did he say? I kind of dread. Yeah. They seem to fight me at every turn. I think there's something about TIG that it, it still fights me a little bit because I've just barely, barely done it. So I think I'm really resistant to try to get better at it just because I know that it's going to be a lot of work, you know, just to, just to do the mechanism, regardless of what the project is, just to do the thing. So for me, that's definitely one that sticks out. Do you guys have anything like that? I'm going through personally right now with this, uh, we have a new shop bot. It's on loan for the show. I did, they, they did not give it to me. So they gave us a shop bot with a tool changer and there's this big ridge where I'm like, there's there's a certain series of protocols you got to follow to use the machine and with the proper tool change and how to zero it. And thank God for Aaron, because Aaron knows how to do it. I don't know how to use this machine. So Aaron's been the de facto uh, machine operator for the, for the show stuff. There is so, there's simplicity in just putting a router bit in and zeroing and saying, go ahead, do that for a couple of hours. And then when you need a new bit, come back and tell me. But when you run this thing and it goes and tool changes for you and it's there's a huge pucker factor when this tremendous four or five horsepower thing is barreling <laughs> towards like the tool collection area and you're like, uh, uh, oh, I picked up the right tool. Uh, oh, it's zeroed in the right spot. Uh, it didn't crash. Okay, cool. All right, we can hit start. Like that <laughs> makes me want to not use it. But that's just yeah. developing confidence in that system because we have had we've had a couple of crashes and like we're like why did this just crash like uh you know and it's no there's no zeroing in to crash because you did this or you did that or maybe there was I don't know Aaron kind of dealt with the tech service on that but not not detrimental crashes it's just you know broken bit here or there and it's uh that solidifies my decision when Three years ago, ShopBot's like, you know, let's build you a machine. Do you want a tool change? And I was just like, nah, it just sounds like more computer stuff I don't want to deal with. And I just like, <laughs> that was the decision. And they're like, are you sure it's like our new system? I'm like, nah, I don't mind changing the bit. And there have been like two or three times over the last three years where I'm like, God, I wish I had a tool changer. But now that I have a tool changer, I'm like, I'm glad I don't have a tool changer. <laughs> because uh, so, yeah. so I have the opposite experience. Get, it's just me getting over the... F- it's me just like yeah. sitting down with Aaron and the tech and really fo- so focusing. Because when the machine was delivered, I had 700 things to pay attention to. So I said to Aaron, I'm like, if you could handle this and you could teach me. And then he just... I've never really taken the time to let him teach me. Go ahead, Dave. I have the opposite experience. So if I have a multi bit operation and the first one is complete i am so afraid that i am going to hit like zero and i'm going to lose my my i'm so careful around it and i'm like really make sure i don't hit that button on the computer and i change the bit and then i go and then i just i'm i'm hoping that it knows it's zero and 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 the second cut is fine and i'm like man i wish i had a, a tool changer this would take 
take care of all that anxiety. <clears throat> well, you see, that's what I, get- I, I have. I have confidence in knowing I can literally shut the shop off. There could be a power outage, anything, and I can come back to a zero on my shop bot. I mean, maybe it's just different software or whatever, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> I have the utmost confidence. I've broken bits in the middle of cuts and resumed in the same spot or, you know, resume my cut or whatever. So that doesn't, that's not a fear factor for me because I've developed the confidence to be able to start again, but, uh, just crashing. And this, when this thing's like, Oh my God, I hit the stop button. Aaron's like, why'd you hit the stop button? So I got nervous because you didn't have to, what did they, what it's supposed to be like, (laughs) let it break first and then hit the stop button. (laughs) Yeah. I have both of those feelings about CNC. (laughs) <laughs> like I want it to do the tool changer, but then that sounds terrifying to me because I'm already like, I could just do it by hand. I mean, like at least if I screw up, then I've screwed up. Not like I've screwed up the CNC, you know, it's operation or whatever. I just realized that we have about five minutes before Jimmy has to go. Um, So let's wrap this up so we can do a little after show for the Patreon supporters because they're awesome. Uh, big thanks to them. And everybody that helps us out over on Patreon at every level, but especially our top supporters, Corey Ward, Albert's Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, You Can Make This Too, Fun Kiss, Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, Rich at Low End Designs. I should start doing like radio voice for these. Corey at Make Shape Create and Odin Leather Goods. Maybe next time I'll do the whole list like that. (laughs) Big thanks to them. If you want to join that crew of people and get the after show and hear about my secret project and other secret projects, go to patreon.com slash making it. Please you guys when got you anything do the radio voice, uh, bring in like a little soundboard so you can play sound effects in between each name. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can do that. Cowbells and all yeah. sorts of that, sound that, effects. That crazy horn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Do you guys have anything to recommend this yes. week? Yes, Which I guy? found something while you were talking. Um, oh, cool. DIY Perks put out a video called Building a Stealthy PlayStation 5, where he tears down a one of the new PlayStations, which apparent, I don't know much about video game systems, but apparently the design of this has... Uh, um, uh, some people love it, some people hate it. And so he built a new one out of wood, and it looks super cool, and it's super awesome. And basically, he stole my video. I I rebuilt the Nintendo uh, (laughs) a couple years ago out of wood. Yeah, Yeah, so he's basically doing the same thing with the PlayStation 5. He's an awesome guy, by the way. He makes fantastic videos. Really cool. I mean, I've only talked to him over, like, Twitter. But we've had a couple of conversations. Very, very nice guy. And so... Yeah, I love. I lo- absolutely love his channel. And I was joking, by the way, about him stealing the video. And uh, he also put out a video recently of water cooling his Canon camera, which I meant to put the video on in the background just to have something playing. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what he is doing is absolutely amazing. How did Canon not do mm. like it's a the, the title is a little bit misleading because he does water cool the camera, but that's not the actual fix for the camera. He comes up with an even better way, but water cooling yeah. uh, a camera sounds sounds cool. So, um, yeah. yeah, DIY perks. Cool. What you got, Jimmy? Uh, it's really more of a subject, not necessarily a specific video, but I started watching wingsuit flyers. Oh, yeah. Which is unbelievable like it got suggested to me so now i watched one so now i've watched 30 but wingsuit flying is crazy and it's really funny that somebody put up a 
and one of the because obviously they all die. They all eventually will die. Wingsuit flyers, which is uh, which is what most of the videos focus on, how dangerous it is. And there's mm. like a, a, a trend that started proximity flying, which probably trend probably started ten years ago. But if you're a wingsuit flyer, you can do what's called proximity flying, which means you're just literally flying like above the ground. But there's only certain cliffs around the world you can jump off of to do that because you can fly down like a an incline until you eventually get to a point where you need to pull your chute. But Somebody said, like, what is the difference between somebody who's an adrenaline junkie and somebody that's a junkie junkie and what they mm-hmm. do to their and what they do to their family? For instance, yeah. you know, like if if my significant other or, or loved one or brother was a wingsuit flyer, I would be like, you would have to have an intervention and be like, you know what? This is not this is not a good career. Yeah. You know, every single time it's not like, you know, if you're an amateur or if you're a professional. Every single time you jump is could be the one that is the fatal jump. There's no, you know, there's no like increasing skill level every time you do it. It's just you know, who knows what could. Uh, I, mean, there, oh. I think there is. Well, I think there I is. I, so, I agree with you. I agree if, with you. If you it's could not do a good it successfully idea. once, I think that's as good as you're going to get because yeah. you do it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> if you that, do it yeah, without like, dying, you've achieved it without dying one time. The next time you're starting <laughs> from zero again. It, it seems that's like true. it could be just because there's so many mitigating circumstances that you have zero control over. Yeah. Wind, terrain, whatever. And, uh, you know, like this one story I saw is this professional guy, him and his friend jumped together. And the guy had done like whatever, 50 jumps, 70 jumps. And his friend, he watched it, he just crashed and died on the mountain. And his friend still had like a five minute flight right oh after he saw his friend die. Uh. And like, you know, and, you know, those, who knows? It's just crazy. But the, uh. I thought it was a very interesting question of like, what is the difference between an adrenaline junkie? And you know a real a real junkie, yeah. But, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Something to think about. Go go check that out. Mine is absolutely different, and something that neither one of you will have any interest in whatsoever. So, you know, uh, it's a documentary on Netflix about He Man. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so a there's this documentary, and I've only just started watching it, so I haven't even finished it yet. He Man is the uh, toy line from the '80s when I was a kid. And it so this is a documentary about the toy line and how it came about. And the thing that I think is really interesting about the story of it is that it was one of the first, along with a few other toy lines in that same time period, they were the departures from licensed toys. So you have like all the stuff, you know, Star Wars, like the only reason those toys exist because there was a movie that launched this toy empire and this entire, it changed the face of toy manufacturing and design and all that type of stuff. And so He-Man and G.I. Joe and Transformers were the, that group of toys were in response to, well, we don't want to have to rely on a movie studio having a movie that's successful. So we're going to build it from the ground up. We're going to make toys and then we're going to turn it into media instead of the other way around. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of fascinating. Like it was a response. Yeah. That's, to that's definitely interesting. Take. So, this this uh, video is about how the toy line came about and how these people were basically, these toy designers were tasked with, like, make a ripoff of Conan, the barbarian. And so they just made some, like, characters and then came back and built storylines in this world around a toy thing. And there's another show called uh, The Toys That Made Us, which talks about toy development on a bunch of different types of toys. And it was a really fascinating show, too, because they talked to the original designers and executives and stuff that, you know, from the 80s and 90s when these things were being developed. And 
what the circumstances were for why they had to be made or what hurdles they came, you know, they ran into and stuff. So I, I like that kind of thing because it's a glimpse into why something happened the way that it happened. And this one just happens to be about He-Man, but it's a, you know, it's it's also put together really well. Uh, for, again, I've only watched the first like 15, 20 minutes of it. But it's uh, executive produced by Adam Goldberg, and he does um, a bunch of different stuff that's all kind of built around nostalgia. So it has the same flavors, you know, the other nostalgia stuff. So anyway, there's that. We need to go do the after show because Jimmy's already late. but And his mic's muted, so you can't hear what he's saying. That reminds me of a show called How, yeah. How It's Made. You guys listen to that show yeah. on NPR? Yeah, it's a great show. Uh, how it's made? You should check it out. It's just no, not NPR. I've seen like the video. How it's made? Or the show on? Oh no, I think it's how called? how it. There's there's an NPR show, and I'm thinking maybe I'm confusing the name. How it's made or how it was made? And it's basically uh, an interview show with successful businesses, and they go back oh. and they they unwrap how certain businesses began. Some are are things you we all recognize. Some are things you never heard of. But it's obviously the stories are just as interesting. Cool. So I don't know, I'll remember the name of it. If somebody remembers it, tweet it. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you. And uh, we'll catch uh, you next time. Oh. Uh, uh, uh.